0: Well, Brandon, clearly one major talking point in the game. Everybody been asking for it. We've got
1: VAR. And is there yet more drama to come here? I'm obviously really, really happy with VAR. Ask us to the VAR people, please, don't ask to me. For me, it's very clear.
0: VAR is for, say, is good or is not good.
1: The VAR brings the truth to the game and everybody accepts it.
2: Welcome to the VAR Booth Podcast. I'm your host, Coach H. Hope everybody's doing well. Uh, today, we have a scenario. In the scenario, I will give you guys a specific scenario in a soccer game, and then my guest will decipher through the scenario. I have two guests today. Our first guest is Eduardo Pedro. Uh, he coaches for the Allegiance Football Club uh, out of uh, Texas, I believe. Um, he coaches, uh, 2009 team, 2008 team, and 2017, and he's been coaching for about five years. Edvaldo, how are you?
1: I'm well. How about you? Thank you for having me.
2: No, no problem. How are you doing through this uh, pandemic?
1: You know, it, it's one of those things where it's difficult for all of us, but within the difficulties, uh, we have been able to find opportunities in between. And while yeah. it's certainly hard being at home for so long, it's also a blessing because it gives me the opportunity to do so much as far as uh, growing mentally. Yeah. So while there, yeah, is, while there is a lot of bad, it's also a good opportunity.
2: Definitely. Whenever there's a problem, there's an opportunity for, for progression. Um, and then my second guest is, uh, is Robert. And Robert, you're going to have to help me with your last name over here. So it's Robert uh, Nguijol. Nguijol. Gijol okay yeah. Robert Gijol uh from New Jersey he coaches for Cedar Stars Academy out of Staten Island and he's been coaching for about eight uh years now uh Cedar Stars is a pretty well-known
0: uh club Robert how are you guys doing um doing all right hanging in there um taking it one day at a time you know finding ways to um keep the kids motivated you know it's yeah. not easy but you know, just, just trying to find ways, you know, sending them workouts, videos, um, soccer documentaries, just different ways to keep the kids entertained. And um, that's true. That's really it.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. Gentlemen, I appreciate you guys joining me for this uh, for this episode. So today, uh, this is our scenario. Um, you're coaching a team. Uh, you are 2-0 down in the first 30 minutes of the first half. Both goals came from... One player who's playing as a striker who's very fast. Uh, the first goal uh, was scored when uh, that player got a through ball in, bet- uh, in behind your defensive line, scored a goal. And then the second goal, they were in a situation where they were one 1v1 with one of your center backs and they scored a goal. Uh, what do you do as a coach? All right. So let's, let, let's start with this. Uh, I'll start with you, Robert. Um, understanding that you're two goals down. Um, you know, in the first 30 minutes. Sort of what is your general message now to your team?
0: Um, so, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a very interesting scenario because I've, this has actually happened to me um, recently. It was um, during the fall season. I have a U18 team out of Jersey here that I recently inquired. And um, we were at a showcase and we were actually down 2-0 early on in the game. And um, and it was due to the same scenario of the other team just having a really fast striker. Um, didn't really do much technical skills. It was just pure speed just blowing by my, my, my defense. And um, obviously that caused the kids to... Um, look to change the style of play and all that stuff, you know, panicking. And my message to them was, you know, do not get off track, stay on track, keep doing what we do. Um, keep knocking the ball around, stay compact. And now what I did was, you know, naturally I always, with this team, I tend to always play before three, three. Now I dropped him to a 4-2-3-1, and I had my six kind of just sit right in front of the back line, and um, pretty much my message to them was just deny the kid the ball. Don't give him any space and deny him the ball. Every second he gets the ball, you know, just congest him. You know, make it really tough for him and challenge him technically. See how good he is technically take away the speed by not giving him any space because obviously um, at the beginning of the game, you know, they didn't know the kid, you know, so he beat him twice. um, And that was that. So as the game went on, the kid obviously got really frustrated because he realized that, you know, I was forcing him to, you know, be a great player and, um, and show his technical abilities and he couldn't do that. And that kind of eliminated him out of the game. And uh, mentally he took some he took himself out mentally, and you know we went on and won the game second half, three two and um so I mean for me as a coach, I think you know when i when I coach against kids that are really fast, i don't really panic much it's a it's a it's a it's a fix to that it's a really fix that it's just you know just make it real uncomfortable for them, make it real and comfortable um telling my my defense is just don't give him an inch of space because the minute you give him an inch of space, he's going to make you pay for it. Um, don't give him an inch of space. Make it rude, tight, and congested for him and just, you know, make him think, make him think rather than just resulting in, you know, I have the ball and I'm just going to kick it and I'm going to make you chase me and see you yeah. catch me. Yeah, definitely.
2: I mean, okay, there's, there's so much because you, you said so much, which I like, Robert. Um and there's a lot of things that that i can break down from your answer but b- before we s- we start going into a little bit of the the tactics of things that, that you just said right there Edvaldo, i want to ask you um, you know if if you're 2-0 down in the first 20 30 minutes uh, your team's confidence automatically drops okay what do you say to your team when you see when you're starting
0: seeing heads down now for that
1: 2-0 two, two down, 30 minutes past, we still have 50 minutes to play, or 50, 60 minutes to play. There's still a long time to play. While they scored two goals in 30 minutes, we can score four goals in 30 minutes. So we have to realize that we're not losing the game because your position is so much better than us we're losing a game because the opposition has one player that's physically superior to the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. So we have to get our heads together and understand if we can neutralize the one player, we're in control of the game. But to neutralize the one player, we have to remain confident in our abilities and we have to focus and work as a team to make sure that that player never gets the ball. If he doesn't get the ball, there's no threat.
2: hmm
1: so then it just becomes a matter of really of the, of a mental game. The game is already a, 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 it's already mental to begin with, but then we have to really make sure that our kids understand and believe that they are just as good as the very best, and we're just having to deal with a minor adversity. Yeah, we work yeah. together. We stop the kid, but to stop the fa- to stop the fast forward, we don't actually have to stop him. To stop to stop the fast forward, we have to stop, We have to start with the rest of the the rest of his teammates because they are the ones causing the real trouble they're the ones giving him the ball if you can keep those guys from giving him the ball then what good is he
2: yeah yeah no definitely i as, as literally as you were speaking i i just wrote down uh who do you stop the player or the suppliers uh but before we again I'm going to get into that and you guys are giving me some really juicy answers here. Um, I just want to talk about because, you know, as much as we are deciphering our own opinions, we're also teaching uh, other coaches that might not know what to do in the situation. Um, So you have, it's, you know, 30 minutes past. There's about 15 minutes left in halftime. Um, You don't want to concede another goal before halftime because it's going to make the mountain a little bit steeper, but you don't have the luxury of a halftime to bring in your team uh, you know, in a, you know, in a circle and bring out your, your tactical pad and stuff like that. So what are some of the things that you're going to be saying on the sideline? And who are you saying it to coach Robert?
0: Um, usually in a scenario like that, um, be specific, uh, Robert, be specific. My, my, my message is to my captain. Um, mm-hmm. my message is to my captain. And, um, because, you know, my captain is, it's pretty much, you know, the way I choose my captain is he's pretty much another coach on the field, Uh, my general on the field. And, um, you know, my message to him is to just, you know, calm everyone down and to lead by example, you know, um, and just adjusting, just adjusting, um, making sure that, you know, we deny him the ball as much as possible. Just deny him the ball. Deny him the okay. ball. So, so when you say so when you say deny
2: him or her uh the ball, what what do you mean by deny him and her the ball? Where, what are you cutting out uh so that that person, that fast player,
0: is not getting the ball? We're cutting out the supplier. We're cutting out the supplier. Um, you know, we're we're cutting out the the set the back line, starting from the back line because obviously, you know, um balls coming from Keeper, or center backs, or even center mid. So we're cutting out the supplier, meaning his uh, his teammates from giving him the ball. So, in that sense, you know, changing the environment for them in a sense of just getting right on top of him, getting on top of him, um, forcing his teammates or her teammates to, um, to not rely on him, forcing them to show their own skills as well. Um, and from there, you know, then it becomes more of like, you know, they, mentally they're going to snap out of the game as well because now they don't have their target person anymore. They can't get them the ball because, yeah. you know, we're putting the pressure on them and we're forcing them to make plays that they didn't make before. Uh, yeah. So essentially, you know, we're, we're cutting the supply. That's pretty much what we're doing. We're just cutting the supply. So, Coach, Advalo, you said exactly the same thing. You're, you were
2: on the same notion is uh coach robert basically saying he cut out the supplier um but now as you're cutting out uh the supplier uh do you are uh, does that mean you're gonna add an extra play in the midfield create an advantage in the midfield or you're not pressing even higher up the field so they know they don't have the ability to build up what are you doing
1: so before i even get to that I love my teams. We play a 4 3 3, either 4 3 3 or a 3 3 4 with four forwards. And the reason we do that is because we like to be in control of the game. And I want to make sure that the opponent never gets out of their own half. We win the ball there, we create there, we keep the ball there for 90% of the game if possible. Most of the time, about 80% at minimum. But that also means that my back line is all the way past midfield. So any long ball, if they have a fast-forward, we're in trouble. So then we have to press. At that point, if I'm playing a 4-3-3 and that happens, I will switch immediately to a 3-3-4 so that we can have four forwards matching up with their defenders and making sure that they have absolutely no way to play in the ball long. If they play the ball long, we have failed. And also by switching to a to a three three-man back, three center backs, it would allow me then to have one guy main mark the forward and two guys drop once they realize the cue that the player will give when he's, when he's playing the ball, playing about a long ball. So if the defender that has the ball looks up, then we know chances are the ball is going to come long. As soon as that happens, one man gets tight on the forward, the other two guys drop, but we have to make sure that that ball never goes high. But to really answer your question, we would press higher because that ball is coming from their side of the field. We have to make sure that it never gets to our side. And to avoid it, to keep it from getting to our side, we have to press higher. Coach, Robert, do you agree with that?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely, 100%. I, I, I agree with that. Um, and I actually find interesting the formation of the 3-3-4. Um, I think it's an interesting one, an interesting approach to pressing high. And, and I like it. I, I really like it because it's, you know, pushing from the front line. So, so if you're turning your back four into a back
2: three, who, you, who are you taking out uh, from your back, uh, for your back four and where are you bringing that player? Which position?
1: So I like to have all my players being able to play all over the place. My center forward can play a center back and vice versa. Going from a uh, back, th- back four into a back three, I will simply push, push up one of my fullbacks. Either the left back or the left mid, or the right, or the right back rather, will, uh-huh. will go into the middle, so that we have two defensive mids, two defensive mids, and one of the attacking mids will become the second forward, the second uh, number nine.
2: Ah, I see. I see that. Okay, now, are you going to do this? Are you going to press for the remainder of the
0: game, Coach Robert? Uh, no, no i'm not gonna press i'm not gonna press for the end of the game um just for the simple fact that if if we're pressing the right way um you know eventually you know this player it also well yeah if we're pressing if we're pressing the the right way um this player is obviously gonna you know be out of the play automatically he's not gonna be in the game anymore if we're pressing the right way. And essentially, once we take control of the game, it's all about the tempo from there. You know, it's all about the tempo. Um, What do we do after we get the ball? You know, what do we do after we get the ball? And depending on the score, you know, you have to change tactics according to the score as well. So if we're then up, you know, let's say 3-2, you know, now my approach is a little bit different now. You know, my approach is a little bit different Um from when we were down to 2 zero.
2: so 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 you're saying you're you're going to change the way you're defending once you go a couple of goals up.
0: Yeah, that's once, once we go once we go up, then from there, then from there, you know, we're not we're not so much as chasing the game anymore. Now it's just all about tempo. Now it's just controlling the game, um, controlling the game and managing the game from there
2: but you still know like you still know that this player can always receive the ball and still get played in behind and, and you know it's it's the easiest ball to play in fact your goalkeeper can even do it on a breakaway where they can just play one long ball and you're, you know that player can still get the ball and, and you know go on and dribble because they have all the space um, so if you're changing the way you go and play at 3-2 now how do you still prevent this this player from getting the ball
0: um, I mean, from, from there, it's, more, it's so much of, um, I think, you know, denying him the ball for a large period of time and being up 3-2, I, I believe by then mentally, um, you know, we have taken him out of the game mentally. And from there, you know, we're just managing him from there, you know, obviously keeping an eye on him all the time. Obviously, keeping an eye on his teammate and making sure, you know, we're constantly, um, you know, blocking the option. But it's not so much of going wild west pressing like we were doing earlier in the game where we were trying to get ourselves back into it. It's more not of just, you know, zone defending as far as just shifting together and things of that sort and not so much of just all out press. Because from there, you know, we're up 3-2. We're up 3-2. And mm-hmm. it's all about just managing the score and managing the game and um, make it in the sense where, you know, we're controlling what's happening to the game. You know, we're not allowing them to get back in and nor we allowing him to get back into the game. You know, we're just controlling the game and, um, and you know, and just looking to, to, to end it on a, on, a, on a note where, you know, we're on the winning side of it. Yeah, so Coach Avaldo, um, you talked about
2: changing from a 4-3-3 into a three-three-four um, because you want to press, you want to win the ball as high as possible, and then you say you will man-mark this player, and then have the other two players, you know, a little bit close by, and then depending on different triggers, you have them start dropping early um, so that they can handle and I'm assuming have the numerical advantage over this player. Now, does that not create space between your defensive line and the offensive line? And do you think that the opposition team now will have the numerical advantage in the midfield to build up and play through
1: you? Not necessarily. Well, that depends on how many midfielders they're playing with. Let's say if they're running a 4-3-3, then we are pretty much match man-to-man. Mm-hmm. If they're running a four four two, we have the advantage in at least in the center of the field so it, it really it really depends on what formation the opposition is running okay so if if
2: because of the fact that you have now three players who are really focused on one player, not to say that they're all man marking this one player, the other two defenders are 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 you know right around them um you now Kind of free up two other players if they're playing in a four-three-three, or if they're playing a four-four-two, you free up one other player, you know, to drop to drop in, kind of like that false nine, and that creates another other numerical uh, equally in the midfield, or that could create a uh, numerical advantage. So how do you take care of the midfield when you have your your offensive line really high, but then your defensive three thinking a little bit more conservative, Coach Advaba?
1: So that is something when it becomes a game of control. I always tell my players every time you get in a game, you're playing two games. Game number 1 is to see who's going to have the highest number on the scoreboard. Whoever scores the most wins the game. Game number 2 and perhaps the most important game is the game of control. If you control the ball, then you control the opposition. No matter what the game plan is, it goes out of the window if you have to force them to defend consistently, so for us in that situation, we enjoy keeping the ball, and I told the boys, "Hey, keep the ball, connect five hundred, six hundred, seven thousand passes in the game if possible." We have an opposition that's playing long balls, and they have it's if they're playing a four three three. At that point, we give we leave the two wing, the left and right forward, completely open. Mm-hmm. But we can force those two guys to become defenders for them. By move, by focusing more on moving the ball and not so much on trying to attack, attack, attack right away. Even though we're losing the game, we have to gain control of the game first so we destroy the plan. So then I will tell my boys something that we do already. Once we win the ball, if the opportunity to go forward is open, go. If it's not, let's play the game of control and let's focus on making them tired. By doing that, we're just going to move the ball short, 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 kind of like in a boxing match where your uh, boxers at times they'll just give those short punches that almost seem meaningless. Yeah. Where it, it, it feels like it seems like it doesn't even hurt. Where you're going short, 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 short and then eventually you throw the knockout punch. Well, for us in soccer, it will translate into we will go overload the left side, short passes there, one, two, three, four, five. We draw the opponent, and then we switch the ball from the left side of the field to the right side of the field. With that long pass, the owl now have to sprint. If we do it successfully multiple times, the opposing coach has to make an adjustment. Mm-hmm. And that, that inter- creates chaos for them to the point where they might forget that they're actually winning the game because they've lost full control of the game. Because you just went the next five, 10 minutes, you're not touching the ball, all you're doing is playing defense. Now, as a coach, you have to make a choice. Do you still keep your forward high or do you get him back to go help you defend? Now, and uh, just to kind of piggyback on uh, what Coach Robert was talking about, you, you asked him a question that brought me some memories. Yeah. Uh, over the fall, at the beginning of the season, around August, September, I played a game, my 2007s versus a, a D8 team, solo DA team. My club is not a DA club. So we go and we play against them. Technically, when, when it comes to the ability to play the game, we are far superior. Yeah. When it comes to the physicality, it's not even close. Those kids, it's almost like they're selected by birth. And they're just significantly bigger, far more athletic than my boys are. So I told the boys, we're going to get to the game, and we're going to focus on, one, controlling the game, and then, number two, making sure that they have no way to even connecting two or three passes. So we get in the game, first half, 40 minute halves, for first half, they literally crossed midfield one time. And that was a great lesson for me because it was almost like I was on drug and I got addicted to the drug. And by that, I simply mean that we pressed them so well and we pressed them the entire half, it worked. What I didn't realize is that with pressure comes physical load. Right, You have to press to go and try to win the ball. And it was working, so I kept on doing it, motivating the boys. Every time they got it, I celebrated, go, go, go. The boys fed off of my energy, and we're winning the ball consistently. We're causing problems. But then we get to the second half. Because they never crossed midfield, they were fresh. Because we actually pressed them a lot more than they pressed us. So we wasted a lot of energy. We get to the second half, and in the first 15 minutes, they scored nine goals. Oh, wow. All of them long balls. And my center backs are looking at me, coach, sub, sub. My center mid's is asking for subs. And I started thinking, what's going on? And unfortunately, it wasn't until I got in a car and I started thinking, okay, what did I say? What did I do? How did it impact the environment? That I realized we pressed, but we pressed for too long. We di- I didn't think about the impact that pressing has on a player's legs and, me- and mentality. I like to use the example of uh if you have a water bottle I' like got yeah. a water bottle right now, every time I take a sip, every time I take a sip of water there's less water in a water bottle after so many sips, there won 't be any more water left and I like to use an example for my boys I was tell when we get to the game, make them run every time we pass the ball short, they have to run if they succeed one time, it gives them energy. Bad energy because you think you can do it and you don't realize that you're getting tired. So, with each pass that we connect, they have to run. It's like you're taking a sip out of your water bottle. Eventually, you're going to run out of, out of water. Now, at halftime, you can get some more water, but it's not the same thing. You don't get to refuel, the, you don't get to restart your whole body. So, the, my approach to offensive methods worked against me because I completely forgot about the reason why I want teams to press us the entire time.
0: Right. Yeah. No, that and, makes a lot of and, sense. Um, yeah, go ahead, Coach Robert. Yeah. And Coach Avado, and that's, and that's, um, that's a really, that's a really good one, man. That's a really good one. That's really interesting. And that's why, um, you know, especially at a youth level, um, you know, I've always said, you know, no team is going to press you for a whole entire 80-minute game. It's, right. gonna be, it's, it's a long game to be pressing for that long. And um, that's why when um, Coach H asked the question, I said, you know, when you're up now, it's not so much of pressing, pressing, pressing. It's so much of now managing and controlling the game. Because there's no way you're going to keep pressing for 80, 90-minute game. That's a long time to press um and that takes a toll on the kids and the other thing too sometimes with kids when they're coming off at halftime you know they don't know how to drink water they don't know how to drink water you know they'll come off at halftime and you see the kid grab a whole jug and he starts chugging half of it and i'm looking at him like what are you doing Mm -hmm. i'm thirsty well that's not how you drink water kid can't chug a whole water you can't you're not gonna be able to run for another 45 that's it for you you're done Mm. You know so essentially, I feel like um that's definitely that's definitely a a a good one because you know pressing for that long period of time is gonna work for a half, but for a ninety minute game, that's tough on kids, man, that's real tough all right so what's up what what's the coach Robert I'm asking you so what
2: what are what other defensive tactics do you have now? so you know earlier on you you talked about taking away the space. So how do you not take away the space when you cannot
0: press anymore your kids are gassed? Um from there from there we just stay compact and we force them to play on one side of the field. Okay. You know, I just and, you know for me when I started game um you know I haven't coached a, a 11 a aside team in quite some time up until I got my U18s um last year in in September I had not coached a U11 aside team in a long time. You know, I've always coached 9v9, 7v7s. For the most part, 9v9. So, for me, obviously, my go-to formation, it's always a 4-2-3-1. You know, that's my go-to formation. It's balanced. And I know exactly how to defend teams in that formation. And for me, it's just pinning you on one side of the field and cut the field in half. And force you to play on that side. You know, and just, you know... Keeping, making sure my back line understands that they have to shift together. My two CDM have to split the team in half. So you cover the left, you cover the right. But if we're shifting to the left, you have to come tuck in and be by the middle. And then if the Mm -hmm. ball gets swinged on one side, well, we have messed up. The ball can't go on the other side. It has to stay on one side if they Mm -hmm. have it on that side. So it's more of just pitting them on one side. And the minute we win the ball, it's transitioning time. Transitioning time the minute we win the ball. So from there, you know, being up 3-2, it's not so much of pressing high, it's so much now of, I'm going to just pin you on one side of the field and just manage you from there. So then I'm saving my energy and I'm forcing you to think and I'm taking all the other outlets out, Um, you know, and just, just pressuring from there because with the two CDMs, you know, it makes the job a lot less easier that way. I never really tend to play with three in the back. That's not really... My way of doing it, I don't really do three in the back. I always do four if I do 11 a side. Obviously, 9v9, you know, you're doing three in the back most of the time. Some coaches right. do. But nonetheless, four in the back, two mids. I mean, two CDMs, you know, the six and the eight, three and a one. And it's just pin them on one side. And then I'm teaching my striker how to press. I'm teaching them exactly how to press. I'm telling them, don't necessarily go to the ball, but take cut the angles. So if the ball was played to the left back, no problem. Let the ball be get played to that player. Let him receive it. The minute he receives it, you cut the pass back to the center back or to the CDM. So now mm-hmm. he's forced to play to the right man. And if he plays to that right mid, that's the trap we want him to play into. Thank you. You play there. We're going to jump right on it. And the minute we win it, you know, the right side is open now because they're all focusing on my side. And from there, we're looking to transition. So that's... Um, that, for me, it's where it comes to managing and controlling the game rather than, you know... Right, and the space. I just want
2: to correct you. I just want to correct Coach Robert. He said if your ball gets placed to the left back, then the ball's being forced to play to the left man. As a, he said right man. But I, I completely understood what you were, what you were talking about. Um, Coach Ubaldo, you, uh, you guys are... You're talking a lot about the difference of timing and the changing tactics defensively from um, you know, uh, cutting the fields and, and spaces, um, allowing the ball to go to certain spaces, and you know, changing from pressing and then not pressing. All of that goes into tempo control, controlling the tempo of the game. How do you coach a team to control the tempo of a game, especially if the team is not as technical as the, uh, as the opposition?
1: So if my team is not as technical as your position yeah oof, that becomes a little bit more difficult to control the tempo because to control the tempo of the game when i think controlling the tempo of the game that means having the ball Yep. yeah yep so for us to have the ball your players the players have to be highly skilled and highly confident if we don't have it then it becomes very difficult for us to control the tempo but there are different ways of controlling the tempo. Either we can control the tempo by forcing them to play fast. For instance, we can control the tempo by playing long. That's not something that I would ever resort to. But if we do not have the technical abilities and we try to do it, then that yeah. will lead to a lot of mistakes.
2: So the reason, so the reason why I asked you that question is because the example that you gave when your team got scored on, uh, you know, in the second half, because they were gassed after the, the brilliant play in the first half, is you know you obviously regretted the fact that your team pressed so much in the first half. So now what I'm saying is, and now you just said, you know, you can control the tempo by making them play fast, which is another form of, you know, pressing defensively. So if you're like, if your team does not have that technical ability, now you cannot press for the whole game. So what do you do?
1: Uh, that, that's that's an interesting question. I've never been in that situation. The one thing that I always make sure with all of my teams is that we are always technically superior to the opponents. We'll go out and play. We'll travel a lot and go to Spain a lot. We win or lose the game. The technical ability is never the reason why. There's never there's never a gap. If it's in the state, for the most part, we're gonna be superior. If it's out of the country, then the gap is not as significant. But so for instance, on that game, 15 minutes, they scored nine goals. We're down 9-0 in 15 minutes into the second half. We make some subs. It's a, it was a, a friendly game. Boys get some rest, get some water. Then the last 15 minutes, we go back and control the game again. But for those, for those 30 first the first 30 minutes pretty much, it was just us staying back. At that point, we have to make a, a defensive adjustment. Are you parking the bus. We have to get compact. Man, I hate yeah. I hate that term. But <laughs>
2: don't hate it. Mourinho won a treble by fucking the bus. Don't hate it. I really? know, I
1: know, but it's it really. I hate I hate that uh, I hate that term.
2: I, I understand because it's, it, people talk about it of a negative term. I understand. Yeah. I think I
0: think it, I think it's more of the fact that the way people talk about it. But for me, it's simple, right. man. If it's gonna if it's gonna win the game or win the the cup or whatever it is, hey, it's your tactics. Do it, right. Know? I don't mind yeah. people's tactic. If your tactic is park the bus, counterattack, then go for it. You know, I always say, you know, in, in football, it's not, it's no, it's no right or wrong. You know, if you, if you believe that's your tactic, go for it. Like you said, we've seen guys like Jose winning, you know, Champions Leagues and all that, doing the same.
1: After after that loss, and I appreciate that loss so much because it was like going to college almost. It was a phenomenal experience for me. I learned from that mistake. One of the things that I've been blessed with the opportunity to be able to go to some of the big clubs in Europe, and one of the clubs that I really love the way they press and they do such a great job of alternating between high press, between a high block and a low block, is Atletico Madrid. So I went there last time. It was in uh, September last year, September, mm-hmm. October. I went over there, spoke with the coaches, went to watch the training sessions, and I asked one of the coaches to put together a session specifically focusing on that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I go and I watch it. We talked about it. And I asked them, How do you guys dictate or determine when to go high press and when to go low press? Good question. So the guy tells me, You know what? Before I even answer that question, we have the Atletico was playing against a bar. And I we said, Well, we're going to go to the game and we'll sit high so you can actually see the whole field and watch the game like a coach instead of a spectator. So we go and we watch the game and he starts pointing out the moments. Look, Simeone can't really tell them because there's 60,000 people here screaming the whole time. They won't hear. So he has, he sends cues, whether that be hand motions or somebody who tap their head or something that the players know, okay, we're going to press as coach Robert mentioned, the captain and a few others are an extension of the coach on the field. So they understand with an with an eye connection that it's time to press or it's time to drop. So we go to the game, we analyze that, take a few notes. Then on a, that was on a Saturday, I believe. On a Monday, we go back to the field, and they're running a session with the U 17s, I think it was. And they run another defensive session. And it was it, it it was almost like watching poetry the way they defended, the way they would go from high pressure to low pressure. One of the things that he mentioned to me was you have to create a rule. At Atletico, they have the 85 15 rule 85% of the game you're going to press, 15% of the game you're going to stay back. But the 15% is going to be more noticeable than 85% because you really just staying back. You literally, it looks like you're just parking the bus, but what you're really doing is giving your boys an opportunity to rest.
2: Right. Yeah. And then obviously, there's, I mean, there's, I can, mentioned the different ways of understanding when to press and when not to press by, by different triggers. And that goes into your training, right? How do you, how do you train your, your players to recognize different triggers that allows them to move and make those decisions in, in, certain, in certain ways? Because, um, Robert, I'll, I, I'll ask you this question over here. Uh, most of the time in youth soccer, we understand that you can win a game by having more athletic players. Um, if if your team possesses players who are just more athletic meaning physically stronger, physically faster, they'll automatically have a numerical advantage because youth players don't really understand how to tactically and technically uh, win a game. I don't think you spend enough time with them in order to teach you know that in in one season in three months so just give us a couple of Pointers, uh let's start with your goalkeeper and your back four. Just give us a couple of coaching points that you would give your team to dealing with um more athletic players and this fast players that we're talking about in training uh going into a game.
0: Um starting with my back line and my keeper, um, you know. The way that I play, I'm a firm believer of um, building out the back. You know, I love I love the build out. Um, you know, I, I, I preach it to my kids a lot. My kids know it, and but nonetheless, they know that we don't do it if it's not there. Um, so, with that being said, you know, it's just my goalie has to understand when to play the ball, where to play the ball, um, how to play it and who to play it to. Um, You know, when versus a team that's more flagged than us, you know, as as you mentioned, like, you know, the striker, um, for us, it's it's more of just, you know, not giving them any space, Um, just being right on top of them. Just being right on top of them um, and making it as uncomfortable as possible. You know, we, you know, I've been very fortunate. um, Like, I coached 2008 girls' teams out of Cedar Star, Staten Island Academy. And my 2008 team, um, they haven't played 11v11 yet. They play 9v9. I have a really athletic right back and I have a really athletic center back. And my left back is. Good with her feet, but not as athletic as the other one or not as um, fast as the other one, but she's very tough. And the way I train my kids, I train my kids with high energy, high tempo, you know, very aggressive. Um, You know, even when 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 we work on build out, I tell the strikers, go all out, full out, pressure, physically, you know, get on top of them, follow them if you have to. So with that being said, at training, my kids are used to always training by pretty much getting beat up on by their teammates. You know, mm-hmm. um, so they know when they get into games and they come up against teams that are extremely physical, extremely athletic, they know how to deal with them because, like in training, we deal with the same scenarios. You know, your teammates, you know, are all on top of you, and I tell them, "We're in practice. This is a time to beat up on each other. We're at practice. So when you get in games." You know, you're not shying away from that. So my backline line um, knows that, you know, the way I coach, I coach my kids um, very tough. You know, I tell them you have to be very tough mentally and physically, meaning if you see the other team um, has players, you know, just as physical as you, if not more, you have to be able to, you know, make it uncomfortable for them, make it uncomfortable and ensure that you're not backing down from them. And mentally beat them because, um, essentially, the mental part of the game is is the most important part. Once you've taken the kid out mentally, because you're showing him that you're not backing down, um, you've already won the game. You've won that battle. So it's yeah. just all about winning that mental battle. And um, my kids know that the first five to ten minutes of every game we've played in, mm-hmm. we impose our will. We impose our tempo. So meaning. The first five to 10 minutes, you find the girl on your side or you find the boy on your side and you give him a few knocks and you let them know you're there. all <laughs> you tactics there. You know what I mean? Let uh, them yeah. know you're there. Uh-huh. You know? And and um, that's, that's the way true. I was coached. That's the way my dad coached. Yeah. Um, you know, that's the, way I've, uh, I, I, that's the environment I've been around. Coming from Cameroon, you know, my dad always used to tell me, you know, because I played CDM. I don't know if you guys have heard of a club here in Jersey called PDA. Mm-hmm. Um, I play seven defensive mid for PDA. And every time in my head, I always say my first 10 minutes, I'm going to find a striker and I'm going to let him know I'm here. He can be six foot tall and I'm 5'11". I'm going to let him know I'm here. Yeah. For so the first 10 minutes of the game, my back line, my players in general know that the first 10 minutes of the game, you have to let them know the other team that you're there. Let your opponent, let your one v one battle know you're there and you mean business. Yeah, um, and I definitely hear it. You know, and, yeah, go ahead. and that's why we've we've really matched up against the, the best of the best. I mean, the division that we play in, um, we've got some unbelievable teams there. One of them being Red Bulls. Um, you know, we have Red Bulls Academy 2008 girls in our division. You know, 14 girls on a roster, and you know, all 14 girls, all 14 of those girls are fantastic. And um You know, our first game against them, beat us 3-2, saw them play them in indoor in a futsal game, beat them 5-0, played them outdoor, tied them 3-3. And I mean, it's just they're just physically faster and bigger than most of my kids. But we've imposed our will on them to the point where we just made it very uncomfortable for them. And at a youth level, a lot of time, kids don't know how to adjust mentally to that.
2: Yeah. So you did. I mean, you're getting into a scrap and, and mentality is a huge part of that. Again, I can, there's so many questions about your answer, but I want to try and stick, stick, to, stick to the subject here. So, Coach Edvaldo, we talked about how, you know, in the first half, that in the first, you know, 30 minutes of that first half, that fast player got into a 1v1 with your center back and beat him um, just pure on, on pace. Let me ask you this question. Would you, would you then, would you take the fastest player on your team and put them to mark that fast player. And if you won't do that, if you're going to coach that center back, how are you coaching that center back for the next time they get into a 1v1 with that fast player?
1: I wouldn't take the fast player. I'm thinking here at the youth level. I wouldn't take the fast player and put the fast player in the back. I'll let the center back stick with him. And it will just be a matter of Taking that opportunity to, to learn and grow and use that as an advantage. You know, at the youth level, the games don't matter. You know, I tell my boys every single time when we win games, I'm Pep Guardiola. When we lose games, I don't know what I'm doing. So, either way, it affects me a lot more than it affects them. And I don't care. So, let's learn from that moment. Simply tell, tell, use that as, a, as, a, as an advantage, a, a way to learn, learning the cues. When do we go, when do we drop, when do we press? When do we become smart and, like Coach Robert said, make some technical faults. I mean, Manchester City professions are professions of those. And when do we start playing a psychological game? Get on a the, on the guy's head. I played defensive mid as well for quite some time, and I played against some guys that were much superior to compared to me in terms of, of, of physicality. A little step on the ankle here, a little step on the ankle there. You're not trying to hurt the guy. You're simply trying to frustrate the guy and hope, right. hoping that he turns into Zidane versus Materazzi at the World Cup, right? Because I yeah. think this, this is a very similar situation where. So
2: you're, saying, so you're saying that you gotta, you gotta, you gotta do everything you can in order to throw this player off. But, you know, we if we're if if we're talking to you know about a player who, I'm assuming this player, if they score two goals in the first half, this and it's pretty fast. This player scores a lot of goals, so this person's confidence is extremely high. Um I'll go to you, Coach Robert. Like what are the what I'm asking for you is what are the coaching points do you give your center back for when they when they they're back in a 1v1 with this player? So this player, you know, makes a run somewhere, receives the ball, and now your center back, and it could be a left or right back, but I'm specifically talking a center back because the the center back has been beaten before already, and there's the ball in the back of the net. So, what coaching points are you giving to your centre back now about this one v one battle?
0: Um, I mean, the coaching point for me would be mainly just be on that player's back. I mean, it's just you know, it's it's. You want to get it tight as possible. Yeah, just get it tight as possible, and don't let him turn. Don't allow him to turn. Okay. You know, because once he turns, then he becomes deadly, and and it's and it's really interesting that you. you with this topic because this is something I tell my players all the time. Do not let the player receive the ball freely. You have to get on their back and make it uncomfortable. And sometimes, even in corners, I would tell kids, you have to mark your player, and the kid is five yards away from the player. Well, you're not marking him. That's not marking. Those five yards can turn into a goal. So you, so I would tell, simply tell my center back, be on his back, and do not allow him to turn and contain him. Now, the adjustment would not simply just be for that one center back. It will be for my whole entire back line as a whole. Because now what I would do is I would not allow that player to be isolated with my center backs. He will not be isolated.
2: Even even or, if even if that player is staying as high as possible.
0: In, in a term of yeah, even if he's standing because, you know, with my back line, you know. It's four back there. We're not moving from there. It's four back there, and we're compact. And, we're, you know we're, we know, we're tied in together. There's no, you know, the gaps is not huge gap. So if one player, and I tell them, if he drops in, you follow, you cover. If he stays stationed in front of one of my center back, no problem. just stand behind him. He moves, you move. But when he moves, your other center back has to understand that if he moves, no problem, I have to be able to cover as well. Right. So in that sense, it's more of just a, you know, it's kind of like a car motor of just moving up and down, just sliding in and out. It's, it's, just, it's just all the game of just sliding in and out. He goes up, one center back follows him, and don't allow him to receive the ball. If he receives the ball, you're making it comfortable for him not to turn. Let him play that ball back negative. That's fine. We'll deal with that. So, Coach Edvaldo, do you agree with that? Say that again?
2: No, I'm, I'm asking Coach Edvaldo. Do you agree with that?
1: yes, would you, have,
2: would you have the center back like like they say, like white on rice? would you, would you have the center back stick as tight as possible on that on that player?
1: That's very situational. It's a good and a bad thing. Good because the opposition will not play the ball to his fit. Bad because if the opposition plays the ball over, then that guy is going to turn, and on a race, we already know that he's faster.
2: Yeah, but he, but Coach Robert said as well. You know, you have other players that are covering him. So yeah, that's if yeah, one, yeah, if covering, one player yeah, is covering him, and right. another one is covering him already. So like, you know, that's kind of that's kind of depending on how fast that player. That that's kind of taken care of, right, Coach Eduardo?
1: Yes, yes. In, the, in, that, in that in that situation, Coach Robert is absolutely right. In, in, which is why I said you put a defensive mid on the guy, man to man, or one of the centre backs on him, man to man. Don't let him turn. At that point, they can only play the ball over. If the ball goes over, we have guys back there to control it and start the attack. Okay. So let me ask you this
2: question. So, so when do you win the ball? Do, do you try to intercept the, the pass into the, that striker's feet? Or do you allow that player to take a touch and make a pass backwards? Or do you win the ball as soon as that player takes the first touch?
1: We want to win the ball right away. If the ball, if their center back somehow finds a way to have the ball at his feet, we want to win the ball, not just block it, but we want to actually take the ball away from him as soon as the ball is being played to him. Because at that point, it gives us a goal scoring opportunity. We're at the top of the box. So rather than just focusing on stopping him from playing the long ball, we want to win the ball so that we can then create goal scoring opportunity for, our, for ourselves.
0: Mm, Coach, okay. are you when you when you meant by the player receiving the ball? Do you mean the center back
2: receiving, or do you mean the striker receiving? That, stri- that striker receiving the ball. That that fast striker. So
0: oh yeah, uh, on his touch,
2: on, on his, his touch? Touch.
0: on his first touch, on or
2: his her.
0: first touch. Yeah, the minute he, that first touch happens, we're on it. So because you're
2: allowing, so you're allowing that player to take the first touch.
0: Yeah, on the first touch, you know, it's not so much of. Him closing is so much of receiving, but the minute you go on and receive it, I'm going to make it uncomfortable where your first touch won't even be clean. Mm. You know what I mean? It won't even be a clean first touch. It will be where, like I usually tell my player, chest to back. You know what I mean? Chest to back. So now he knows and he feels you behind him. So now his mind is racing and he's thinking. And at at a youth level, kids they're gonna panic essentially they're gonna because if you're trying to as a center back you're trying to jump in front of him to win that ball Uh you miss that ball night night Uh you're done you're done you're done so if you want to gamble and jump in front of that ball go ahead and do that but you're gonna pay for it if you miss it so better you keep him in front of you with the other center back covering him behind and you literally make it where his first touch will be heavy because he's filling your chest on him or she's filling it on him. So essentially it's just on the touch. The minute he touched that, boom, it's it's right there. It's right there.
2: Now I completely understand. Gentlemen, we've gone for so long on one topic and I know we could go for many other hours, but I don't want to hold everybody up for, for the day. So I really appreciate you guys talking about this topic. I think this this scenario happens a lot, especially in youth football, um, and a lot of coaches win the game by having one or two fast players as opposed to uh, coaching a team on how to play quote unquote the right way. I say quote unquote because you know winning a, winning a game is winning a game, but you know in terms of building up and stuff like that, I think a lot of coaches bypass that because they have some fast players up front. so I really appreciate your opinion um. And uh, good luck for the rest of this pandemic. And obviously, uh, I'll see you guys sometime on the field.
1: Uh, Thank you so much. Thank you for having us in a in a podcast. I truly appreciate the interaction here, Coach Robert. Great mind. I'm hoping that we can uh, stay in touch and continue to uh, share ideas.
0: Yes, yes. Thank you so much, coaches. We appreciate it. You know. Obviously, you know, this this being my first time on the broadcast and I thought it was um thought it was great, really sharing great ideas and um and you know hearing you guys' point of views as well. So definitely, you know, hope to do it again sometime and hope to keep in touch and um and connect in the near future. Definitely. Thank you, gentlemen. And this was
2: the VAR Booth Podcast. Thank you for listening to the VAR Booth Podcast. If you like
0: this episode, please rate it, subscribe to our podcast, and comment your thoughts. On the topic.